0: All right, we're going to wrap up our series this morning on Let's Eat uh, with a look at the Last Supper. I'm excited about this because we're going to read through it. And what I want to look at, there's all sorts of things. We could really do a series on this meal. Um, We're going to look at one thing this morning that was just being made more and more clear to me every time I read through it. And it's really a commentary on... Not Jesus and the disciples, or Jesus and even the bread and the wine, but I want to talk this morning about Jesus and the enemy. Okay, that that are because it's not just even a subtext as we read through the Last Supper. It's actually in the text right there, staring at us in the face. And so let's look at that this morning as we read through these. I mean, we're going to look at two different places. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Luke chapter twenty-two. Luke chapter 22, and we're going to dive right in there. Before we do, let's just pray this morning. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've already done in this service. God, for what you're going to continue to do now. Lord, I just ask that we would give you the attention that you deserve. Father, the attention that your word deserves. God, your word is holy. It is righteous, God. And we revere it, Lord. We honor you in this time as we open the Bible and we read the words that you have given us to allow us to understand you more, to love you more, to draw closer to you, God. We just, we just fully respect this time. And God, we just lay aside every distraction, anything that might take us away from what you want to say in this moment, this holy moment. We put it aside and we give you all of our attention, God. We turn our eyes and our hearts to you right now. Speak to us, Jesus. We're desperate for your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so Luke chapter 22, we're going to pick it up in verse 7. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. Follow him. "'At the house he enters, say to the owner, "'The teacher asked, "'Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? "'He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. "'That is where you should prepare our meal.' "'They went off to the city and found everything uh, everything just as Jesus had said. "'And they prepared the Passover meal there. "'When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. "'Jesus said, "'I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins.' For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. All right, so I want to break down a couple things in just these opening few verses that stood out to me. And the first one is that Jesus sends Peter and John on this errand, but he doesn't tell them specifically where they are going to eat. It would have been very easy for Jesus just to say, hey, we're going to go to Bill's house on 7th Street and he's he's going to be ready for us and that's where we're going to eat the meal. Okay, he could have very easily said that. He knew exactly where they were going, but he didn't. And I believe, you know, they're, they're, the reason could very well be that Jesus just wanted to show off his sovereignty and his power and predict what was going to happen, and very well could have. But I mean, there's also another very practical reason for this. Because Jesus knew that there was a betrayer in his midst. And he didn't want to say, we're going to go have dinner at Bill's house on 7th Street, because he didn't want... Judas to know that. And then Jesus get prematurely arrested because he very much wanted this dinner to happen. All right. Not just because he wanted to have a meal with the disciples, but because there was was more. There was more for him to teach them. There was more for him to love on them. And Jesus knew the magnitude of this dinner. And he was not going to let this betrayer stop it from happening. Okay, and so here's the, here's the interesting part. All right, check this out, y'all. Listen, as everyone listening to this? God allows the enemy to know certain things and not other things. And we need to understand that in our lives, that just because the enemy might be at the table doesn't mean that he knows the full story. Okay, so there were things that Jesus, knowing what Judas was gonna do, Knowing what the plans of the enemy were allowed him to continue on while still at the same time withholding valuable information. Translation The enemy ain't in control, y'all. All All right, he might think that he's sitting at the table and his plan is coming to fruition. All the while, God's saying, Yeah, you don't know the whole story. You don't know what I'm going to do. And so, Jesus here is withholding this information from this guy so that. Check this out. Jesus' plans could be fulfilled. Amen. Y'all get that? Amen. Do you understand that? Because in our lives, we mistake the presence of the enemy with the authority of the enemy. And we think that because the enemy is in the room or even sitting at the table, that he knows the whole story. He doesn't. He does not in your life know the whole story. What God is telling us here is, yeah, he's there but I'm withholding some things from them, all right? And we're going to continue on with that theme throughout this entire thing. But don't get that confused, y'all. Don't get that confused. And here's, the, here's another part that I just think is really uh, kind of bizarre and interesting at the same time is the plan that Jesus throws out there to Peter and John is a weird one. Like, it's kind of nuts what's happening here. And if you don't know this, that for a man, it says when you go into the town, you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. That there, there's, there's. In, back in those days, men didn't do this. Men didn't carry pitchers of water. Women carried the pitchers of water. All right, we're not going to get into that right now. Okay, <laughs> let's focus, focus. I stay on, stay on point. All right, ho. step off that and go this way. Okay, but they didn't. Okay, not my fault. Didn't make that decision myself. I'm just saying. Men didn't carry pitchers of water then. It would have been like Jesus saying, okay, when you get into the town, you're going to see a pink unicorn crossing the street. When you do, it's going to talk to you, right? I mean, it was like that, it was that unheard of. It was that unheard of for a a man to be carrying a picture. But here it was, it just so happened that this guy was doing it right when Peter and John come into this town. And then he goes on to say that here, you're going to go into this guy's house and there's going to be a room, not only in the house, he actually goes further, Jesus does and says, upstairs and check this out, it's going to be ready for us. Like the table's already going to be set. The plates are going to be out, the fine china, whatever you want to call it. He's going to be ready to host us in this room. And I love, I love, I love the imagery of this, y'all. That as we follow Jesus, there is a table up waiting for us, already set that all we have to do is exactly what he says. And there is a seat at the table for us. And he's not, he's not figuring out as he goes. It is set. It is prepared. The second that we receive Jesus and we say, be my Lord and savior. Boom. There's a table setting for us at that table with him in that upper of upper rooms. Amen. Amen. I love that this happens here with the last supper as well. And here's the other thing. In all of the tellings of the Last Supper, in all the Gospels, none of them actually talk about the most important part of the Supper, which is the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. There's different aspects that are told, but it's really about the bread and the wine, the communion, right? Why is that? Because the sacrificial lamb that's important at that Last Supper is not a dead lamb on the table. It's Jesus. He's the sacrificial lamb. So he is the very subject of this last supper. And as we even say the term last supper, that is not to indicate that the last supper is being held between Jesus and the disciples. It's saying this is it. This is the last time, y'all. This is the last time you have to sacrifice a lamb because I'm going to be sacrificed. And there are no more last suppers after this because I'm going to take care of all of it for you. It's going down, and you don't have to do anything anymore. I am taking care of it. I am the spotless lamb, and I am going to be sacrificed for you so you never have to do these rituals, so you never have to worry about the law. I am going to be that sacrifice that covers you with grace and mercy and salvation for all time. So that is the Last Supper. Until, until, he says in verse 16, if we can go back, For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, until we truly eat with him again. That's when the next supper is. But it's the first supper, not the last one. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 21, it says, But here at this table, here we see it again, y'all, sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me. Jesus just says it. He calls it out. Just like it is, yeah, enemy. I'm aware of what you're gonna do. Sitting at this table, disguised as a friend, is the one who will betray me. Listen, y'all. When the enemy comes into our lives, I I wish it was this easy, but he's not dressed in all red with the pitchfork and the tail and the horns. All right, he's dressed in camouflage. That's how the enemy works. And we see it right here. He's disguising himself as a friend, not just as a friend, but as one of the 12 disciples. That's some serious camouflage. And I just want to say this morning to all of us, I think there's some of us in here especially who may have some friends in your life that you need to examine your relationship with, who might be looking like a friend, but everything they say to you, everything they try and lead you into, is away from Jesus, is opposite of what Jesus says about you. But you listen and you follow because you put them under the category of friend. But they're not. They're disguised as a friend. And I'm not trying to attack any relationships in here, but you need to pray seriously about that relationship in your life. Say, well, I want to invite them to church. Awesome, invite them to church. You can do that over the phone or text or at lunch, but you don't have to live your life with them. Lead them to Jesus as best you can. But look at that relationship. And I also want to say this. I want to take it a step further for all of us. In this world that we are living in right now, and I'm going off on a little tangent here, but in this world that we are living in right now, the enemy a lot of times can be identified with that pitchfork and the horns and the tail. But there are a lot of people masquerading as friends in the name of Jesus who have just as much of an agenda as the enemy. And we need to, church, be very careful who we are listening to right now. And if it does not measure up with the word of God, get rid of it. And let me say this too. Don't put what they are saying as a priority over the word of God. We should be, in, we should be getting in the word more than we should be listening to other people right now. Because if we do it the opposite way, it's going to be a lot more confusing. But if we go to the word first, then we can listen to what other people are saying and say, well, that doesn't measure up to what I'm reading. But I'm telling you all right now, I'm telling you, there are people that are calling themselves whatever in the name of Jesus that have a crazy agenda. Be careful. Tangent over. Verse 22. Verse 22. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. Stop there. It has been determined that the Son of Man must die. Who determined it? God determined it. The enemy did not determine this. The enemy thinks he determined it. Satan thinks that he determined this. He did not. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. And then he goes on to say, But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? What sorrow awaits? Now, I believe there is, you can apply this to Judas. You can apply this to Jesus. We see that. If you don't know the story, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He regrets it. He's filled with guilt and remorse. He goes back to the Pharisees and say, here, here, take this money back. He, he, I don't want this anymore. And they say, we don't want this money either. And there's a, whole, there's a whole thing with that. And then Judas goes and he kills himself. He's filled with sorrow. But I truly believe what Jesus is saying here is not even, it's not truly about Judas. It's about Satan. Oh, what sorrow awaits the enemy for thinking that this is going to be his victory. Because what is actually happening here is the greatest victory for us that there ever could be. And so so Satan's going to go, oh no, what did I do? I wasn't told the whole story. I was in the room sitting at the table, but I didn't know the whole truth. Because the whole truth says that Jesus had to die so that we could be free. And what Satan was trying to do by killing Jesus, all it did was fling open the doors of heaven, for all of us to come rushing in, and to sit at the table with Jesus. Oh, what sorrow awaits the enemy in this moment! What he sees as victory is going to be complete and utter failure. Hallelujah! Listen, did y- I mean is the tryptophan still happening in here, y'all? I mean, what's going on? Come on, let's go. I mean, we're at church. Can we, can, we, can we wake up a little bit? We need to, like, stand up or something? Um, this is not the masters, okay? Like, oh, let's, yeah, let's, let's call. Let's oh. talk about Jesus defeating Satan, all right? Good Lord. All right. All right. I lost my place. I'm trying to look like I'm thinking deeply. I'm not. I'm like, where am I? My nose. What sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? Verse 23. The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. I love this. is just so typical. Then they began to argue among themselves about which or who could be the greatest among them. Can't you just hear it? Can't you hear it going on? Like, who was it? Is it you? It's not me. I'm his favorite. Give me, no, I did this. I'm better than you. And so it completely turns from who is going to betray Jesus. If this isn't human behavior, I don't know what is. Who's going to betray Jesus to where he dies to in a moment? I'm better than you. Right? I mean, it's so funny to me, but that's how we are so many times. Verse 25. Jesus told them in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people. Yeah, they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, we don't operate the way the world operates. That's not how we're going to do things. And in my last Time with you. The lesson that I want to teach you is to serve one another. Serve one another. Don't argue about who's the best. Argue about who can serve the most. And we see this as an example if we switch now to John chapter 13 and look at his perspective of this as as it picks up right where Luke leaves off. In verse 1 of John 13, you can turn there. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that line. Jesus loved them to the end and he loves all of us to the end. If you're praying for someone in your life right now that doesn't know Jesus and even praying and praying and praying, don't give up. Don't stop praying because Jesus loves them to the end and he will never give up on them. He loves them. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So it says right here in John that Jesus knew that he had authority, y'all. And so then it says in verse four, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Jesus knew that he had all the authority under heaven to do whatever he wanted. He had the authority. It, it, it's, it's interesting how this whole thing breaks up because it, it mentions Judas, that he was already prompted. It mentions then Jesus' authority, and then it mentions what Jesus does with that authority. And is it to step on the neck of Judas? No. It's to wash, check this out, is and all the other disciples' feet. Judas was going to betray him. Jesus had full authority. Jesus gets on his hands and knees and washes his disciples' feet. It's almost as if when I, where my brain goes to this, y'all, when I think about it and I'm reading this text, it's like, it's like Judas is like this kind of gnat in the room that is just like, stop, what are you doing? Like, get away. He's just kind of, there's that little buzz. But Jesus is like, like, I got more important things to worry about than what you think you're doing over here. i got to wash their feet. That's, that's the picture that I have of God with the enemy in our lives. He's nothing. Y'all hear me? Yes. He's nothing. Amen. And there's a lot of us in here that need to know that today. Whether you've been walking in fear or whatever, God has it. We talked about this last week. God has it. Judas was in the room. Jesus had full authority. And Jesus just goes about his mission as if Judas isn't even there. Except in, in even to love Judas to the end, he washes his feet as well. Unbelievable. Verse 5, After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. You know, we can read this and and read Peter's reaction and, and, I don't know, criticize him. But honestly, like, I think the reason Peter has this reaction is because he understands who Jesus is. It's like, no, Jesus, no. This This is the job of the lowest person in the house. Washing feet was the lowest position in the house for servants in a house. That was the starting off point. And Peter's like, what? what are you talking about? You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. Don't do this. And certainly don't do this to me. I think Peter gets it. He sees who Jesus is like, no, this is backwards. Jesus, no, anybody else but you, this isn't right. This doesn't make any sense. So really, I think Peter, Peter's reaction is warranted here because he understands who Jesus is. And Jesus answers him, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Verse 10, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, but their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Here it is again. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. I have to wonder right here, what in the world Judas is thinking in this moment? You know, is he having second thoughts now? Is, is his rage maybe getting even worse, you know? I, I don't know, but I, I just have to think his thoughts are all over the place. Knowing what he is about to do and Jesus is on his hands and knees, washing his feet. My goodness, what a dynamic in that room. How powerful must that have been? The tension that Judas must have been feeling in that moment. Jesus is giving him every opportunity to not do what he's about to do. Every opportunity, loving him till the end. But Jesus is never once threatened by the enemy in the room. Never once. He continues on with his mission. Verse 12, when we had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So there's three points that I want to kind of close on this morning. And the first is what we've been repeating over and over again. Whatever God is calling you to in your life, whatever that might be, for you individually, uh, as a family, whatever that looks like, listen, don't be distracted by the enemy in your life. Don't be distracted by what Satan is trying to do, how he might be in the room, causing chaos, causing tension, maybe even over Thanksgiving dinner, perhaps. Don't be distracted by that. Understand that just because the enemy is in the room, does not mean that the enemy is in control. All right? Judas and Satan were never in control in this moment. If anything, they were more out of control than they ever thought possible. What sorrow awaits? What sorrow awaits? And then I want to say this as well. I want to take these words that Jesus said to his disciples here in John to heart. He says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We are in a season right now, y'all, Christmas season. And it is it's really hard for a lot of people. Some of us in here may be really hard. I want you to pray about how you can serve those around you. How you can really, and I'm not just talking about the Isaiah 117 house. Those things are great. But I'm talking about, personally, the people in your lives that you know that might be hurting. What are some ways that you can serve them? Whether it's just taking them out to coffee, giving them a gift card to somewhere, or, check this out, inviting them to church. Now, I really believe, you know, we, we've, we've done the the uh, Christmas Eve handout card, invite cards, and we may do them again. I'm not, I'm not really sure if we are this year or not, to be honest with you. Because it's like, you know, you can take a card and just kind of say here and then, and then walk away and then they have to read it and there's really not a true invitation that happens there. What I believe we need to do as a church is to look people in the eye and say, hey, we have church on Sunday. We don't have to wait till Christmas Eve, y'all. We have church on Sunday at 10 o'clock I'd love for you to come. You need me to pick you up? You want to go out to lunch afterwards? You can sit with me. We'll kick the regular out of their seat. <laughs> we will kick the regular. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to invite people to church in, this, in these next few weeks, y'all. We really do. And I'm not saying that so we can fill seats here, please. So that we can save lives and let people know about the loving grace of Jesus Christ, whose last lesson was washing his disciples' feet. I'm going to give you a little preview. You saw earlier, what in the world happened is our our theme that we're going to be really starting talking about next week for Christmas. But on our Christmas Eve service, on the 24th at five o'clock, it's going to feel a little bit more like an Easter service than it is a Christmas Eve service. We're going to be celebrating Jesus not just his birth, but his death and his resurrection on that night. And it is going to be awesome. It is going to be fun. It is going to be loud. It's going to be good. And we're going to be sharing the gospel. And I'm believing that people are going to come, whether out of obligation or guilt or just tradition or religion or whatever, and they're going to have an encounter with Jesus like they've never had before. But we, we, need to in, we need to invite them. We need to invite them, okay? And so can we do that? I want, I want you all to seriously pray, about what you can do for those people. And I believe, in, I believe right now that there's already names that are coming to your brain. I say, he's talking about this person. He's talking about them. Do it. Do it. And don't wait. Don't wait. I, I, used to, I used to make this mistake all the time. God, let there be this divine appointment where the skies part and the dove lands on my shoulder. Thank you, Jesus. And, and no. Call them up. Create the, the situation, right? Don't just let it happen like on its own. Like you be the organic thing that causes the conversation. I, I, I made that mistake for a long time. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I was just an excuse and not, and not a mistake. But, but cre- create it yourself. And I'll do the same. Okay, and forgive me now as I go way off script here, but this is something as I was preparing this, earlier in the week, that I really felt was the Lord. To the point where, it was like Monday or Tuesday, and I just kind of said, okay, Lord, I'm going to sit on this, and I'm not going to etch it in stone. I'm going to pray about it this week, and then see if this is really you, or if this is me. But I believe this is the Lord. For the husbands in the room, just the husbands, I believe this week, between now and next Sunday, you are supposed to wash your wife's feet and pray for them. Just the two of you. Not the wife to the husband, just the husband to the wife. That husbands, get on your hands and knees, get a bowl and a rag or whatever and wash your wife's feet. And when you're done with that, I want you to put your hands on them and pray for them out loud. And I don't know what's going to come of it. But I know it's for every husband that's in here and that's watching online. It doesn't matter if this is your first Sunday or you've been going here for 35 years. It doesn't matter. All of us men are to do this. And if you want to go above and beyond that and involve your children later, that's great too. But I believe ultimately what God wants is for men Husbands, to wash your wives' feet, just the two of you in the room, and pray for them. And if you don't know what to pray for them, ask for them first. Ask them first. What would you like? But I, I believe you'll know. I believe you'll know. Well, my wife doesn't come to church. Awesome. Awesome. Do it even more so. Don't, don't chicken out. All right, for real. Like, don't, don't. I know it's different. I've never done it myself, but I believe that's what God is calling us to, men in the house. We're gonna have the band come back up. I'm gonna close with the song that we sang earlier, You Reign Above It All. Because as we see in this holy moment of this Last Supper, with the enemy in the room plotting and scheming for Jesus' very death and resurrection, or death and, and, and crucifixion on the cross, thinking that he was going to win, Satan was never in control. Jesus was in control. And it was determined by God that Jesus was going to be that sacrificial lamb for all of us. And I just want to say again this morning, for all of us in here, for any of us in here, for that one person in here, that one person watching online, if you have never received Jesus as your Savior, do it today. Do it today. He took care of it. The whole whole Passover feast was this sacrificial religious thing that the Jews did that was all about works. And Jesus took the works off the plate. He said, I'm going to do it for you. If you've been trying to work your way to salvation, if you've been trying to earn salvation, you're just hitting a wall and you're hitting a wall and you're hitting a wall, it's because you're trying to do it yourself. All the while, Jesus is saying, I did it for you and I have a place at the table for you. All you have to do is believe. If you're walking in fear this morning, if there's something in your life or things in your life that that are just gripping you, this is the time to let it go. Because just because the enemy is in the room does not mean that he is in control. And when we turn our lives over to Jesus, we are his. And so, yes, we can sing with confidence. We can sing boldly with our hands lifted high that God reigns above it all. Amen? Let's stand up. (laughs) Father, thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you do reign. Father, I pray right now that you would put those people in our hearts and on our minds that we need to, to invite to church that are just waiting for an invitation, that are just waiting for that hand to be extended to them to say, come with me. God, I pray that you would soften their hearts even now. Even those, God, that some of us in here might say, but I've been inviting and inviting and inviting and I just keep getting told no or there's an excuse for every time or whatever. God, I pray that their hearts would be softened. But Lord, ultimately, it's really not about what they say. It's about us extending the invitation. Lord, I pray for the husbands in here, that they would take to heart to wash their wives' feet this week and pray for them. And I pray that whatever happens, Lord God, it would be amazing for each marriage. Thank you, Lord, that you were never distracted by the enemy. You had one goal in mind, and that was the cross, and that was your resurrection for us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Praise you now in Jesus' name. Let's worship.